Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. If you can't get enough of the Mixing Music Podcast and want three times the amount of episodes every week, subscribe to our exclusive content for only $4 a month or $40 a year at mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive. Happy mixing, my friends, and enjoy the show. to the Mix of Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me today is a special guest, the King of Sync, <laughs> my good friend, Trevor Llewellyn. All right, he did it right. He did my name correctly this time. Yes, well, because I <laughs> fucked it up and we restarted the recording. Anyway, Trevor here is a friend of mine. We've been working together for a while. Um, I do mixes for him. I do masters for him. But on top of that, Trevor is one of the owners of a company called Get It Done Music, which is a combination of a library, um, but mostly focuses on sync music and sync licenses, getting music onto shows, ads, movies, anything and everything possible. This man not only is doing well enough to feed a family of five kids, Four or kids. Fifth on the way. Fifth on the way. Oh my goodness. Uh, public announcement right here. Uh, but <laughs> we got, you know, it has a wife, lives currently in Texas and comes out to LA quite often wherever I'm, this man is doing well. Okay. And uh, I don't give a shit if he thinks he is because I'm saying that from us thumb twiddlers here sitting in the chairs, this guy is doing great. And on top of that, this guy is not a shithead. He is a great human being and very thoughtful, very smart, very kind. And um, man, he takes care of all of us. This, The lives of dozens of families sit upon his shoulders. Oh my goodness. Sits upon his shoulders and he takes care of them like a proper a proper business owner does. Mm. You know? Man, you just just chuck me up on that pedestal up there. <laughs> yeah, you want me to keep going? I can do this. I do this professionally, dude. Yeah, yeah. you're a professional pedestaler. Anyway. <laughs> uh, at the point, this guy doesn't suck. You know that? That's the point here. And, and I think more importantly, more than how good of a guy he is, I want to emphasize that he knows what he's doing with sync. He's been in it for a while. It sounds like this is not your first rodeo. Like your family, some people in your family have been doing this as well. So mm-hmm. like, you know, the ins and out of this more than most people have. More importantly, you know how it goes realistically. Mm-hmm. You know how your competitors work and how the different angles even from different countries. You were talking about how it works in Canada versus how it works in America. Yeah. Um you understand how this works. And as an education podcast, educational podcast, we do not do a lot of interviews. We are not an interview show and we're fucking proud of it. When, every time right, that be, we I'm do an interview, every time that we do an interview, um, it is someone that knows their shit. And today we don't give a shit about who you are, Trevor. We want to know 
what you do and why it works for everybody else. (laughs) You know, why someone may consider, like, I I just want to know how sync works. Mm -hmm. You know, as much as I want to do an interview, it's like, oh, like, who's Trevor? Oh, my gosh. What school (laughs) did you go to? How did you find your wife? Oh, my gosh. Honestly, what people want to hear is what the fuck is sync? And why do people want to get in? Why people should get into it or why not? What are the realistic expectations people should have? Um, How does it fucking work? You know, so let's start off as this. Uh, what the fuck is sync and sync licenses? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, the term, I think I can be wrong at how this happened, but the term, I believe, is just from syncing audio to video, right? And so you sync the music to the video. So they got sync out of that. But that's all that it is. It's it's the, the uh, industry of syncing your audio, probably in this term music, to somebody else's visuals, whether it's you know, somebody's highlight reel for the NFL network or somebody's movie scene or a commercial. It's, it's taking your piece of music, syncing it with their thing, like adding it to their thing. And then the entire industry that kind of developed around that concept. So basically a sync license is a license that a company or film or ad agency can pay for, for the right to put your music on their visual product. Yeah, because <clears throat> because of copyright laws and stuff like that, there has to be approval and paperwork signed uh, allowing one entity to use somebody else's ID- or digital product, right? So their music, so in, in this case. So if a movie wants to use a Beatles song, they need to get that permission from the owners and the publishers of the Beatles song. The writers, I from the writers don't have a say in whether or not something gets synced. It's the the master owner and the publishing owner. Okay, that's interesting. I want to get into that a little bit later. Hold on, hold on. So wait, say that again. Actually, I want to get into it right now. Say that again. So the, the publishing owner and the and the master owner are who determine whether or not something can get synced. Like like if you own a, a certain percentage of publishing on a song. The movie or TV show, they need you to sign the approval to have that synced onto a movie because the song, uh, because the publishing side comes with ownership rights and so does the master side. And so, for example, if the master side doesn't allow the song to be used, like we've seen scenarios where they'll redo the song, the publisher on the publishing side um, can have like a a new master made, kind of like what Taylor Swift has recently done. So that then the publishers can land a sync, but then there's a new master owner of a song that then gets let. That's that's kind of a roundabout way, but that's okay, okay. me explaining. The, the reason why I'm explaining that is that there's two pieces of ownership. There's the audio ownership and then the copyright ownership under the publishing side. Okay, so that's let's, making let's, sense. Let's do this little, um, <laughs> what is Mogi in English? Uh, role play. Okay, 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 person A is the producer, the songwriter. Let's just keep it as person okay. A. Person A writes the song, totally his idea, not copied from anybody okay. else. <clears throat> person B is their dad who paid for the recording. Okay. We'll just keep it simple. It's just mm-hmm. person B paid for the recording right. and for the mixing, whatever. Yeah, paid so, for the services. So dad now owns that piece of audio and son owns the writing and the publishing portion of it. Okay. Son owns the publishing well, this, unless they sell that to somebody else or give correct. the rights to or, publishing. Well, so, so originally if you sit at your home and you make a full song, you own all the pieces. You own the, you own the recording or you own the, uh, the master recording, you own the publishing and you own the writing. So the, most the, people are A, B, and C. C will say is the higher yeah, publisher. The, 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 yeah. The, the reason, the, the, the master part, and this is record stuff. This isn't even just like sync stuff. This is just kind of normal yeah. record. We want to know how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So 
usually a record label ends up owning the master recording because that's how the contract is done because somebody they paid. fund the exactly recording right yeah. so they're like we paid for this we want that piece of audio <clears throat> and then the people that make it own the other part the the publishing and then the writing right and then there's bleed into all of that depending on the artist and so on and so forth right but the idea is somebody or an entity owns their master recording audio the, that audio that final bit of audio and then somebody else owns the publishing and somebody else owns the writing and then it all kind of mixes up so okay so in this scenario why would person a want to get rid of their publishing like what's the point of a publisher what what is their job <clears throat> That would make their fifty percent of the pie worth handing it off to somebody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a piece of bread. So, like I always, or not a piece of bread, like a loaf of bread. Like, you, like you, you have this loaf of bread you made. You put a wrapper on it, you slap a little sticker on it. It says "loaf of bread, wheat." Right? Oh, I gotta get clear. I know. Yeah, you started whispering and and, and, backing, head, and backing up from the getting quieter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> disappearing into the hallway, <laughs> dude. <laughs> so, so let's say you got you know you've created a loaf of bread, right? But you could try and sell it just to random people on the street, or you can go to a store and be like, Hey, for a cut, can I put it on your shelf where people are constantly going to come by looking for bread? So basically a publisher is someone who typically has eyes or has a retail location uh, and metaphorically digital, a, yeah, yeah. a digital uh, place where customers, they already have customers. They have a platform. Mm -hmm. They have a way to distribute. Correct. Okay. And relationships and connections, right? So then a publisher will come along and go, I have I have relationships with with uh Fox or Disney or whatever. Uh if you, let's let's put this song together and then make it so that there's something in it for me to spend the time to go. Cause like depending on how the relationship is, like on my for my company, for example, I'm mixing and mastering everything, or you are, depend if I'm paying you to do it or I'm doing it or whatever. Um, we're doing cut downs, right? We're making all of the, we're, we're making cover art. We're doing all of this stuff on the publishers, like, which in my opinion is the publisher's job is to do a lot of that. And then on the other side is the creator's job is to create the thing. Then that's like almost like a 50, 50 relationship of essentially creation and sales, right? Or creation and marketing or however you want to label it. And then that's where uh, on my, uh, for our company, that's how we kind of look at publishing is like, we are doing that part of the publishing because just creating the thing is part of the publishing, but then also marketing it and doing all the stuff, selling it, distributing it, sending it off to the clients that we have in South Korea, right? Like all that kind of stuff is on that is my half of the job, right? So then that means we both have half of ownership because we're doing half the work you're creating, we're marketing or we're, you and know. the publisher and the song publisher pie and the songwriter pie both get equal amounts of royalties. So if there's a yes. dollar in royalties, both get 50%. Correct. Because those are done through, because those are performance royalties. So those are done on BMI and ASCAP. So, or CSAC or whatever your country is, Gamma, if you're in Germany and, and yada, 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 there's, they're everywhere. So <clears throat> your PRO basically gets a hundred dollars for like a, a royalty and 50 of it goes to the writer, 50 of it goes to the publisher. And then, then whatever those splits are, then start to get split up. So as well. really, the master owner, all they do is to say, "Now nah, you can't." They're just basically just permission givers. Well, well, no, yes, but they also they collect um, a different type of income, which can be so. Nowadays, it's not as popular, but like mechanicals was where you would collect. Okay, the mechanicals sale. is masters. Yes, because you would collect the sales of your CD 
or whatever, right? From like Walmart or whatever. Now that doesn't really happen as much anymore, but you would also now collect um, any kind of like for, for sync. We'll go back to sync now. The master recording, the sync fee goes to the master owner. And then that is where, so, so if, so let's say I own, you know, Taylor Swift song or whatever. Let's, say, let's continue with the person B. Yeah, yeah, person B. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if, if dad, who owns the master, sinks the thing, dad gets the sink money. Now, in the what paper, is sink money? Is that so the sink money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or is that- <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so I just say things, right? Yeah. So, no, so um, let's say Fortnite is going to use this song in their game for $1,000, right? That upfront fee is what the owner of the audio is saying. If you want to use our song, you need to pay me, the audio owner, $1,000, right? And then that money goes to that audio owner. To person B. To, per, to dad, right? Mm-hmm. In this scenario. And then then dad now got $1,000 because he owns this piece of audio. And that fee was negotiated between the guy who owns the audio and then the guy who has the money, right? The publishing and writing royalty part is a whole nother a whole nother world of money because that whole world of money is negotiated in a completely different scenario. So the person who owns the master typically doesn't get money in the form of royalties or like incremental little bit at a time. They usually take some sort of upfront permission to use it. Right. But that, that, that master owner gets tied to like, like live performances, syncing, CD sales, yeah, mechanical, Spotify streams, mechan- like yeah, mechanical, like yeah, mechanical royalties. As far as I understand, tell me if I'm wrong here. Mechanical license is like if you do a cover of the song, you have to pay mechanical licenses. If you want to post it on any sort of paid platform, um, you need. Well, I know that. And then uh, you have to mechanicals is also streaming technically, right? Which is not royalties. Royalties is separate from streaming. Performance. So put performance up there because the term okay. royalties is just a way of paying. Oh, performance royalties is where is where publishing and writing come in. So, got but you it. could have like a mechanical royalty that's outside of the performance royalty. Like streaming would be a form of mechanical, mechanical royalty. royalty. I am correct. Okay. So, and and this is where it gets really intertwined. It's not so straightforward because there are scenarios where the where the master owner does receive some sort of royalties through mechanicals and stuff. So it isn't even all just it's it's very all over the place because contracts can be different. Idea like just all of the things can end up being different. Like the. Like, for example, some of the publishers might receive some of the mechanical royalties, right? So like, but that's all like on sales stuff, which I, which in sync and my company at the, not in sync, in synchronization music and my company in general, we don't deal with a lot of mechanicals because we're not like selling our music or licensing it mostly. Okay. So we do get some when the, cause the stuff's on streaming and stuff like that, or like we'll get mechanicals from like YouTube, you know, like they label it, you know, and I don't know exactly why they label it that way, but it comes in that way. And so then we, but now, what kind of things do PROs, performance rights organizations like in America, BMI, ASCAP, mm-hmm. CSAC, what kind of metrics do they chart or track and collect for? I assume things like whenever, not after they pay the master owner. That's not fee, done through PROs though. That's not done through PROs then they run it multiple times. And mm-hmm. each time they run it, there is a performance mm-hmm. fee that they pay, right? Uh, every time they play it on the radio, I assume. It's radio and TV. Anytime of uh, a restaurant or a store or a v- music venue plays their music. Yeah. There's a performance royalty. Technically, yes, but that's that's hard. That's kind of yeah. That's that's here. That's that's people. I don't think many people spend a lot of time on that anymore because. 
Like you got some diner playing like the radio. So what about a movie where it's like they buy the song, which we understand now is typically goes to the master owner Mm -hmm. for the rights to use the song. Do they do film companies have to pay every time the film is showed? No. Where does performance write? Yeah. So that's written. <clears throat> that's written in a contract. You can Google. So the, the listeners at home, you can try and find like a, like a template synchronization contract and, and just read through it or ask chat GVT to print one out for you and then they'll find it for you and, and learn from it because it'll show, it'll explain the terms and those kinds of things. And usually, um, so like nowadays, most sync contracts for that, for like a synchronization, they do in perpetuity around the whole world. So you put a move, you put a song throughout all a, the universe. Yeah, 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 they do that. Yeah, they do that. The whole universe until the end of time, and and even after that, <laughs> yeah. in the resurrection. You yeah, know. During, yeah <laughs> Christ comes back, and you we're still getting our money. <laughs> so, so no, but in the in the contract, it'll explain like the terms because there were times where people would do like a. And you might notice this if you watch an older movie, the music is different because there were times where they would do like a a term where it would be like 10 years you could use this song in your movie. And then 10 years would come up and then they'd be like, okay, we need to re-up on this contract. And then they'd be like, I don't want to repay. And so then they just replace it with like an older, with a different song or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? So, but nowadays, usually what it is, is a sync will usually be forever um, worldwide so that they can do whatever they want with the movie, especially nowadays with the internet. If you have a movie and you put, you know, that this guy's song in the movie, they don't want a headache in five years, 10 years, right? They don't want a headache where the contract says America only, but now they're getting popularity. This movie's getting popular in, in Germany and they don't have the right to have the music in Germany. So most of the time, the paperwork is essentially saying, Everywhere, anywhere, at all time, this is what the fee is for that. And then they don't have to worry about it ever again. So you're saying sometimes people will pay a premium to not have to pay royalties later. And then depending on the details of the contract, the premium price for the purchase of it will be split immediately to the um, the publisher and no, the no, songwriter. No, no. Okay. No, no. no. So okay. this, this is just on that sync synchronization fee that dad in this scenario is charging Disney. Dad's going one thousand so dollars. Still, the publisher and the songwriter doesn't get the music. Not, not at this moment. This or isn't. Many, this, yeah. yeah, unless it's in the contract. For example, all of my, all of the people that I work with, I split those sync fees with them. So at a, at a at a large film level, uh-huh. like large debut film level, no, Marvel movie how often? Yeah. yeah, a Marvel movie. How often is the songwriter and publisher included in those deals like that? It's like a, how normal a, is what you just? About? Not very normal because like a lot of times. Uh, well, I mean, it's pretty normal nowadays. It's a lot more normal now, but like, um, there's, there's been times and even now where a public, like a library will just pay you like, I want that song. Here's 500 bucks, but all you get is the writers, which in that scenario, if you just have writer ownership, you're hoping that that movie plays on like HBO or something, because then you'll start to get royalties, but that movie never hits like a broadcast that sync fee goes to the owner and you get nothing. Oh, so typically performance royalties will go after, okay, when it's, it's like streaming only, or yep. played on TV. It's only as a result of broadcast. Interesting. So it is worth being the master owner. Yes. That's where it's worth being master. So when people like Jay-Z or, or you know, all these celebrities that complain about not, not owning, owning their, their masters, masters. It's because they sold their masters at the beginning of their career 
And then they want him back now. Because every because, time that it gets on a movie... But if it's a TV show that is being run, it yeah, would they be get the, they, get they would get the performance right. royalties. And, and more than likely, art like big artists own a portion of the masters, or or there's a in there there's a contract of like the label owns the masters, but the artists still get through the label a portion of the income. So if the label ha- owns technically 100 percent of the master, they may still fraction off some of that master income to that artist forever. They won't give up the ownership of the master, but they'll forever exactly like, depending so, on the leverage of the. So artists. my, for example, my my uh, my library, we own a hundred percent of the master and publishing of all of the songs that we have in our library. But in our system and in our paperwork with our artists and producers and everybody, that master gets split financially. And so when we receive a thousand dollars for a sync. We take five hundred, and then we take the other five hundred and pay it to, our, to whoever made the music. But that's which, not, in most cases, in your in your case, um, with more boutique, you know, white glove type producers, where they're doing it all themselves mm-hmm. in house, then they are the master owner. That yeah, fifty percent, right? Yeah, yeah. Because technically, the moment you make something, you are the master owner of that thing that you made. Yeah. So <clears throat> whoever's so like, per- paying for the service, and even if you're not paying for anything, then it's the person who created it, right? Yeah. So, like in my scenario, for example, technically we own the master a hundred percent, but on our back end, we owe any money we make from that master, we owe half of it to the creator. And how that actually works out depends on the company that you sign to. So if, you're, if you're interested, if a sync company or a library is interested in signing you as a producer per se, signing person A, mm-hmm. um, then that is negotiated and signed. Beforehand, yes. Got it. That yeah, because so I've done in my ranges? career, yeah, so. yeah, in my career, I've done where they buy everything writer publishing master for x amount of dollars because i needed and you the don't money make, you don't and make, i don't make anything anymore ever again from that but there's and, usually a premium upfront correct, price right yeah, yeah i'm not giving it to him for free but no but there's scenarios where it's like you know what i really need 500 bucks so let's do it but then there are other scenarios where it's like no i if i wait long enough like the royalties plus income from sync will be more than 500 dollars. so i'm going to not take so much upfront and allow this to be more of like a partnership kind of scenario Interesting, interesting. So um, I want to talk about real quickly the realistic expectations of income, how it works, um, how long it takes to be paid, how often (laughs) it takes to be paid. The kind of the realistic bullshit because I'm not, I don't, what I don't want to do is try to convince everybody because right now the problem, and this is something that your friend Jesse and I talked about, is everybody kind of has this Pavlovian response to th- like the word sink where it's like, Oh my gosh, there's money. To yeah. It. Yeah. Oh, like they, their mouth starts watering, you know, it's like, <laughs> the, yeah. I mean, you did it the, when the you, bell rings you introduced and, all me and you're like, he's a sink guy. Who's a billionaire. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like, but the point is um, that, so I want to kind of like talk about the realistic expectation because it's not this thing where you do it and you 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 find the right person if someone gives you a shot you're going to start becoming a millionaire that's not mm-hmm. how it works yeah not at all um i want to know the realistic expectations what smaller companies are doing and how they're doing it mm-hmm. versus medium to larger companies yeah it's very wild west right now which is actually really fun um because why is it wild west uh, because people are trying new things, right? So when I got into it, it was very straightforward. It was like libraries bought everything. Royalties were so big, people weren't even thinking much about sync. Like a regular ass white collar man in a suit in a computer type situation? I don't know what you mean. Sorry. It's not <laughs> when it was a lot more 
a structured. It yeah, was yeah, a little so, bit more boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. There's so, a way to do things. There's exactly. one way to yeah, do yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. So so like there like there were the the libraries where it was like every library had the same deal or almost the same deal. Maybe there's one or two variations, but it was almost always the same deal. All of the shows paid high royalty. Like this was right after like 2008, 2009. It was like everything was the same. Every like all the royalties were really high. If you started getting royalties, they were just climbing like crazy. Like everything was pretty royalty based where it was like library would pay you for the masters. You would get your writers and then you'd be receiving royalties because you would be in Kardashians and football and, and fashion show royalty uh, reality shows. Sometimes you get a movie and yada. And most movies aired on TV eventually, you know, like at that time there wasn't like streaming and stuff. So like most movies would end up like, if you got a big movie, you wouldn't get the sync, but you would get a ton of royalties once it hit HBO. Right. That all was like a big deal. And it was really straightforward. It was like, just get into a library, get as much in there as you can. And then royalties will start pouring in a year to two years later. And that was kind of the game. And now there's so with, with streaming, with the different like networks, uh, like the, not the networks, but like the platforms, like the direct TV or the Cox internet or uh, Cox TV or spectrum out here. I think like all these different networks are all starting to have different things going on like hybrid internet, like internet cable, satellite internet, like all these different ways, plus just straight up Netflix, straight up Hulu, you know, like you've got Tubi, right? You got all these things everywhere that then creates like a different relationship because like Netflix, for example, until very recently paid no royalties to be a Meyer ASCAP. So it was sync fee only, which would suck if you had music in the old days that was only royalty because now your song would get placed in BM or in a Netflix show, but your contract you signed 10 years ago says no, no sync for you. So now labels and, and like well, companies like myself and others that are either popping up or kind of restructuring are, are kind of reacting to this new environment of like, like there's streaming networks that just straight up don't pay any royalties. So there's upfront money that if I'm a composer, I need to keep aware that that's a possibility. And I want to make sure that, that I get into that income. I want to, I want to add here a little thing that I thought about, and this is why you want to hire a lawyer or have someone into it. Because I feel like the point of a lawyer with contracts and stuff is to a certain degree, like when you make an articles of organization with multiple company owners, right? Mm -hmm. It's to protect you from unforeseen future problems like that. Like there's no way in hell that like we would have seen us going to streaming 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, um, but a good contract and the reason why they're so meticulous and so wordy and say things like in perpetuity across the universe throughout all of time, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, is to protect both parties in situations like that when the industry completely flops on its head. So you're saying that the industry is currently, I mean, we got the writer's strike, we got the actor's strike, we got strikes going on, even with Ford, we're not even getting into it. But anyway, um, because the industry it has flipped on its head and we're still, even though it's been a while, it feels like streaming has been around for a long time. Yeah, it hasn't. But yeah, it feels like it. Yeah, it feels like it. Yeah. And they're still trying to figure shit out. Yeah. No, I know. Like, this is kind of the the um, everything is changing all the time world that we live in. And it's it's a bit chaotic. I don't like, like whether or not the strike thing or whatever, but I, like whatever... However we handle it is, it was, we just have to handle it with self-awareness and understanding of what's happening in the moment, right? And so, like, I'm always having conversations with my composers about, like, 
if we were to get like I used to not okay so there's a thing called blanket licensing right so like if if ESPN for example like an umbrella policy yes. for insurance yep yeah so well no, no no it's like it's an umbrella license it's like I'm gonna pay you one fee and I get to use all of the music in your library for that one fee right now that scenario is was that, is that like artlist.io or uh, I mean it's I, it's similar it like I don't know website? how they, it's like a subscription based no no no, no. it's like if if like like let's say my library is just sitting there doing its thing and 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 uh, ESPN is like, you know what? Instead of paying you one time every time we use something, what if we just gave you one flat fee and then we could just use everything nonstop for a whole year? Okay, and with a time limit. Yeah, yeah, There's usually, it a, usually time a time limit. limit. Yeah, yeah, usually like a fee for a year or two years or whatever. And are those fairly lucrative? Is it worth so doing it? They were great in the past because royalties were so high. You wanted to be in a blanket because the blanket would be a small fee that the, the library would get. And then the royalties would be wild because they'd just be using your stuff like crazy because they don't have a limit anymore. They just start using it like crazy. So your royalties would just... So that was even the ideal scenario for even the... Uh, even who, if you just owned a little bit of writer. or the writers. Yes, yeah. it was both. It, everybody was happy because it was like, yeah, we're not going to charge you a crazy amount for this blanket fee because we're just going to rake in the royalties, right? Well, nowadays, you've got the internet networks. Like, like if you did a blanket fee with like... Or a blanket thing with like Netflix it's not the same because there's not, the royalties aren't the same. Right. So like your royalties on Netflix stuff is tiny. Right. And it was, it was non-existent only a couple of years ago. So a, a blanket would suck for you as a writer because you'd be like, okay, I'm not getting any of that blanket fee. And me as the publisher, I have no idea what they're using. So I can't even split that blanket fee up properly. Cause there's other companies that track what's being streamed. What's being. No, there aren't. That's another thing is oh. that, so, so you can, <clears throat> so right now you can sign up to a bunch of different services. I won't name any because uh, they got to pay me to, to say that. No, uh, there's just a bunch of different services that will, st- that'll listen to like ESPN or Fox or whatever. Just like and scrape the, the data. Exactly. And it will, it's, it's just like Shazam at all times. And it'll listen and go, Hey, your music was right here. And then you can see that and be like, Oh yeah, my music was right here. I should get royalty soon for that. Cool. Streaming platforms don't let anybody do that. They don't let anybody listen to their platforms and then t- and then report what's being used. Film and TV streaming, not not Spotify, Apple. No, 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 no. I'm talking about yeah, TV Netflix, and films, Hulu, all Disney those kinds Plus. of stuff. Okay, see. So so there's no way to scrape it either. So oh, so it's really hard to do a blanket, let them use it like crazy, but they don't have to report what they're using back to us. So so that's because the streaming services aren't required to share the data, and there's really no motivation to do so. Uh, well, there's motivation on our end. We would love to be of able, of course, but I'm talking on their end. On their end, no, and and there may even be nefarious reasons why they're not doing it. I don't, I don't know. But, so I mean, it's kind <clears> of like a like we trust you kind of situation right now. I mean, yeah. obviously, I think the market. I mean, if capitalism do, capitalism does its job right, eventually they're going to have to. The, like, it's probably going to. You no, know, yeah. Eventually, eventually, people like us and others will be like this. Like we need to be able to. There like, has to be levels of transparency. Yeah. Right now, it's so new that there's not even. Yeah, it's well. For one, we're in the early stages, and two, ground has been given. Like BMI and ASCAP used to not collect any money from from Netflix. Oh, so now they do. So people, okay, so to so a certain it takes degree, time. Oh, okay, so to a certain degree, <clears throat> so all the people that are like complaining, it's like people don't realize that there. Are, it is moving forward. It is getting better. Yeah, there's a behind the scenes kind of battle that's just constantly going on. Interesting. Um, I didn't realize that. That's cool. I mean, I can speak on like Spotify and Apple a little bit because I understand how that goes on. But as far as like film and TV goes, I did not. 
Yeah. So, okay. So we've been all over the place, but let me do a, a quick rundown of, of, of PROs, right? Um, so BMI and ASCAP, for example, <clears throat> and most streaming or not streaming, uh, PROs, performing rights organizations, basically once a year, once a two years, some, so there's a term where they go to all of the networks and they go, we're negotiating a, a year rate. You pay this big fee once a year to us. And then we take that money and split it out like a piece of pie. Right. So BMI goes to ESPN and they go, you've used this many BMI songs last year. So if you want to continue to use BMI songs, you need to pay us this fee again this year. Right. Then they go to to HBO. They say the same thing. They go to, they go to all these places and they say, this is our fee for using all of the music that's under BMI or all the music that's under ASCAP. Right. Then that fee becomes a pie. And then over the year, your piece of that pie gets chunked out the more you get used, right? And then then a quarter comes up and then it goes, okay, this is your slice of the pie that there's your royalties, right? Because usually that like, I'm sure payment structures are different depending on the companies or whatever, but they pay lump sums and then those lump sums become what the royalties will end up being mostly on like a percentage basis where it's like, the more essentially the more the more placements you get the smaller somebody else's piece of pie gets and so on and so forth and then it kind of shifts and then boom your royalties get divvied out all right now that's that's the simple way to do it there's this giant math behind it all that i'm not smart enough to explain this is this is really interesting <clears throat> so let's do a couple of role playing scenarios just to really hit the nail on the head kind of mm-hmm. like really explain this okay in this situation one person a buys their own laptop buys their own software okay Right, they bought Logic, right, and yeah. they had their own laptop. Yeah, they there bought Logic. Yeah, they that's, bought Logic. And then, yeah, <laughs> I know we talk about this. That's your favorite. Um, and um, they make their own music, their own ideas. There's no way in hell that anybody, no, no um, copyright infringement. Yeah, they, they themselves somehow email a music director, music mm-hmm. supervisor. Yep, and they get their song onto a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's on TV. Yeah. Direct TV. We'll just keep okay. it simple. They collect potentially masters. They collect the sync the fee. The sync fee, which would go which to the from master. The master. Level. Yep. And every time the the show is played or that episode is played and rerun. They, they collect would, on the publishing side and the writer side. They collect amazing. every penny that that song makes. Okay. The reason why the publisher's pie, so in scenario B, person A bought their computer, bought their software. Nobody's answering their emails. Nobody answered their email. Nobody's answering their emails. They're like, you know what? Person C has a history of making money and and has contacts within the music in the film industry and has a library or whatever. Mm -hmm. He, person C, sends a contract to person A because he believes person A's, he or she believes person A's uh, music is good enough for these specific categories or shows that are currently trending. Correct. Right? Um, like for example, this is something super specific, but you we you were talking about making a sex <coughs> album, which is really erotic because of shows like uh, not dysmorphia. What is it? What is what is the great. what is the show? Uh, Euphoria? Euphoria. Or no, there was the other one too with the, the weekend. But there, like, yeah, 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 some sort of like teenage that's trending. You know, like whatever. Yeah. So you you find value in person's a sex erotic album, <laughs> right? And now the person has to decide whether it's not it's worth selling their 50% or their 100% publishers or whatever they negotiate in order for person C to sell. 
to the sync companies because yeah. they're unable to do it themselves. Yeah, that's exactly. Yep. Now in situations three, yep. they can't afford to buy a laptop. They can't afford to buy the software. Even if they can't go to a recording studio, someone, their dad, person B, buys their laptop, buys their software and commissions them, potentially even pays them to quit their job so they can write their own music. Right. It's a really big gamble. Right. It's a huge gamble. Yeah, you're just yeah, you're you're describing basically how the music industry has worked forever. Yeah. People that point. don't give enough credit to record labels who are fucking gambling. Oh it's yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, okay, it's a so, lot. Yeah, it's a lot of money to gamble on somebody who could just get addicted to drugs the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. there's like, yeah, who's, <laughs> who's, whose creative power comes from their direct neuroticism? That comes from their how broken they are. Like they're narcissistic because they're fucking broken. Like there's no investor that invests in a product that can have a mental breakdown the next day. There's no such thing. <laughs> so it's a really big it's gamble. The music industry. So person B buys the computers. Maybe buys the recording time. They make a song. Person C who may or may not have a previous relationship mm-hmm. with them. It's like, I believe in this product. I think it'll sell. They gamble on whether or not it can sell. Right. They take publishing. Okay. Lands on Disney for kids. Somehow mm-hmm. lands on. Yeah. You know, your example landing on Disney. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Disney for kids, you know, Disney, <laughs> Mickey Mouse clubhouse, you know, whatever. And right. uh, so now sync fee goes to mass to dad to be yeah. or record label uh, and publishing goes to and royalties and reruns and whenever it streams or plays it's divvied out to, to okay, yeah that makes sense yeah. it's a lot more simple than i thought it would be oh yeah it's it's not it's not as complicated i mean like it can get complicated because you that interrelationship can change like dad can put a cap on it once i make my money plus 20 percent, you can have your masters back like you can start playing that game too as a way to build leverage well, just as like a, way, it's a way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like if you're an artist and you're like, I, I want to eventually own my masters back. Now, for library, it's harder because, like, for example, I have clients around the world that want the music basically sitting there forever. They don't want me to pull it. They want to be able to know that that music is sitting there today and five years from now when they're working on their next project in five years. They like that's that's kind of the like product that I provide in my library is this huge collection is owned by me in perpetuity. And you don't have to constantly keep moving things around. Like, I don't call you and be like, this song, I don't own it anymore. You got to pull it. You know, like that's, that in itself has value um, for a lot of those scenarios. Like, like if some sports network in Germany is doing like football, soccer, whatever, and they're out there and they have this huge collection of music, my music and maybe a couple others, they don't want the headache of dealing with who owns the music? How long is it going to sit here? When do I have to remove it? Can I use it? I got to double check and make sure it isn't, not that person's anymore, right? Like that headache they don't want. So that's almost like the product I provide is so not having that. This headache. is, this is a sentiment that I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. I apologize. But uh, this good. is the sentiment that I've heard before. Maybe you can speak on this is some companies, even bigger, well-funded shows and movies would rather work with a smaller boutique independent label or library mm-hmm. because it's direct. It's faster. They can get the stems without having to go as much paper. It's easier to work through. And on oh. top of that, it's probably slightly yeah, cheaper. I, I think that your first scenario you were talking about scenario, a guy makes everything guy owns everything guy sends out emails. That's good. Freaking luck. It's, it's like I, if I'm on the other end of that, that's too much headache for me. Because if, if I'm like, if I'm somebody who wants this song for a movie, there's too many things that could go wrong in trying to license your song. Due to inexperience. Due to an experience, due to like not understanding my side, right? So if I'm like, if I'm sitting here going, hey, let's agree on $1,000, your song in my movie. And then halfway through the process, you realize 
you mean $1,000 in perpetuity. And they're thinking, oh no, I meant $1,000 every time it's in a movie theater. So I don't know, whatever they're thinking. Now I've put the, put the song in the movie. I've done all this stuff and we're about to put the movie out and dude who owns the song is changing his mind. Right. So what I do. Oh, so, so what I like to recommend is either a library for library type stuff or a sync agent, which is basically somebody who for a certain term takes ownership of your music, but it's not forever. And then they can do all the things to keep the client happy and you just make your thing. And then, and then you both benefit and you don't have to sit there and fight or try to communicate with somebody you're not good at communicating with. Right. And so then the other side, the, the music director of a movie or whatever, they don't have to deal with like 12 different personalities to like put the music in their movie. They deal with one or two companies that those companies deal with those personalities for them. So you're saying that scenario one is ideal for the creator not ideal for the purchaser. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, could be the only. It may not even be ideal for the creator because how much time are you going to send spend sending emails or going to events or trying to get in communication with a like that's a lot of time you or, could be making more music. Or if the purchaser understands how little experience that you have, it's you're unprotected. Mm-hmm. They can yeah, take you can take advantage. Yeah, exactly. So, so the purpose of person B is not to pr- bring it into a marketplace. But also because of their experience, they know how to protect you. There's mutual self-interest mm-hmm. where they want to make money from it too. So they, they negotiate yeah. on your behalf. Yeah. So they can actually get you more money potentially because it's easier to negotiate. It's hard to negotiate for yourself. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm, I'm very critical of the middleman world. And, but there are scenarios where it's like I've, like, I've seen people try not to do middleman stuff in this scenario. And I hate the term middleman, but that's technically what's going on here is there's you there's a middleman and then there's the client, right? Thanks for keeping it real. No, for real though. Yeah. And, and usually I'm, I'm a big fan of trying really hard to get rid of that middleman, but because of how complicated music licensing is in general, like legally, uh, creatively, uh, like, like, uh, expectation wise, like you've got the director and the music supervisor fighting about something and then that lands on you. Like there's all this stuff. That middleman is actually crazy valuable, a lot of the time, not every time, a lot of times there's a middleman seeking, right? Like rent seeking, there's like middleman seeking where they just, they want to be the middleman and profit off of it and they don't give a shit, right? There's a lot of that going on. But if you have a good relationship that goes through that pathway, uh, it's insanely valuable because then what you have is you have the creative doing the creative, you have the sale person, marketer person, whatever you want to call it, doing their thing good. And then that makes the client happy. So that scenario, if you can figure it out properly, I think is like optimal. So this is interesting. So uh, person A, situation scenario A, where it's all self-funded by person A, um, isn't ideal for both parties. Person B is really ideal because you get the protection. It's And the person B or person C, the, the publisher, knows what the fuck is going on and how it works because this is not their first, first rodeo. So it's easier to communicate even with the purchaser. Mm-hmm. Um, they know what stems they want. They know how it works. They've worked with them in the past. They're good friends with the music supervisor or whatever. Yep. Um, you're, you're, can I even see, think that, is it normal to think that even scenario three where there's more people involved is actually not as ideal as situation two? Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. Because situation three, now you've got like, a loan you got to pay down. Like that's what's like what record contracts usually are, right? It's like a loan. So you get like a loan to pay down. You've got terms that change over time. Like there's all this complication stuff. That scenario two or B or whatever it was, um, where you're the creator, 
the the middleman sync agent kind of thing is the salesperson basically it's mm-hmm. like the easiest way to say it that i feel like is a really good relationship because those two usually aren't good at being inside one person like one person isn't usually good at sales and creativity um to a full extent that's that's just human nature right unless you're a genius you're <laughs> right. either chaotic yin and you don't dominant, sleep <laughs> or you're yang dominant yeah yeah, yeah. exactly you're so, yin dominant or you're yang right. dominant so yeah. if you can create a really good partnership where the salesperson isn't trying to be creative and the creative person isn't trying to be salesy and they yin and yang themselves together i think that's the optimal relationship cool. for for somebody's piece of music now i know that there's going to be some form of like um cognitive bias some dunning-kruger effect people out there that really believe that they can do it on their own and uh yes some people can Mm -hmm. um but you're saying for smoothness smoothness for to be able to negotiate um not for yourself so someone else can negotiate higher for you to be for all kinds of reasons it is it is actually worth giving up publishing and you're not saying that as someone that owns publishing you're saying that as like, yeah, yeah. If I was, oh, if I, I was do. even person A, I would give. Before I own my own, sorry, before I own my own publishing company, most of my music was sold to other publishing companies. I, my own music, I almost own none of the music I made when I was younger. That all is owned by other people. We didn't talk about that. You, you have a history of making your own music and yeah, selling your own music. Yeah, from like right out of high school, I was providing my own music for libraries and stuff. The reason why I became a publisher was because I became friends with people that were way better than I was. And I was like, I was, I was, I was making music. I was getting better pretty good. composers, yes, better, better yes. producer than you were. Yeah, okay. yeah. I was like, I'd, I'd make music and stuff like that, and it'd be cool. But then I'd have a friend who was just way better than me, and I'm like, dude, like. <laughs> I'm competing against you, but like, you're my friend. You're like, I, I want the best for you, but you're killing me every t- every corner. Right. And then I would do that. Like with every, everywhere in music, I was starting to get that way. And I was like, you know what? Like what I am good at though, is this is relationships with understanding business. I kind of got into the Gary V stuff for a while. Right. I was like, you know what? I'm going to put the music away for a little bit and I'm going to be the business guy. And then I'm going to take all of my friends and be the business guy for them. And I almost created the relationship I just talked about with you, where I became the marketer slash business guy, and they stayed their amazing creative selves. And then we became like, then that's how like we worked together in that scenario. So that's, that was like my evolution is I went from just a guy making music on my laptop, being pretty good, you know, to doing this instead and actually liking this in my I, honestly I like being the business guy better I like I've grown into it a lot and I actually like this world a lot better it's really interesting I want to touch on I want to talk about negotiating and and going from the baseline well, how much is that worth to you baseline three talking scenarios. about negotiating I, I think I think I'm curious okay, I'm saying okay, I'm negotiating got it, got it, yeah there we go but uh <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah nah, it went over me for a second there um, I was like, it's worth it. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, but I, I want to dive into one of the things that I'm a big fan of personally, as well as on this pod, we talk a lot about personal development, self-discipline, okay. impulse control. Hmm. Um, this is a huge topic for me okay? because we are in a creative, um, feminine energy, yin industry, creative, chaotic. We need that. Uh, okay. There's, there's um, a lot of chaos. People don't have regular sleep schedules. Mm-hmm. That's normal. Yeah. People being depressed is like kind of normal, <laughs> you know. Like you know, to a certain, okay, it's, that's it's, dark. It's, but it's like, normalized. I don't know if it's normal to be depressed. Okay, okay, fine, fine. You're right. Okay, I'm sorry. That was a little dark. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to make a joke there. Okay, but um, the point is, unfortunately, this 
the, the people that are able to have the self-discipline to deliver files on time, oh, yeah, yeah. to be able to do what they're told, the simple things. Do you think the straightforward things? Most creatives cannot do that. No. And I think it's a huge issue. Yeah, I woke up at 4 a.m. this morning to deliver some files to a New York client. There you go. I was so tired. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I I think the thing that people are not understanding is the, the thing that is stopping musicians, creatives, composers from getting better deals, whether it's through sync or through streaming or through YouTube or through some sort of label contract. I think the biggest barrier is self-discipline. And I want to, and it sounds like from what you're telling me right now, if you are not even the person who is able to deliver files on time to deliver files as asked to read fucking instructions on an email, for example, the prompt is rap with horns and jingle bells. And if you didn't read it and you didn't put jingle bells on it because you just sent them what something that you made months ago yeah, yeah. to make the job easier. Yep. And you didn't fucking read the email. You're a piece of shit and you don't deserve to be paid and you're not going to do well. Like honestly speaking. So this is if you are the person that can do the bare minimums of delivering files on time, being able to read instructions, be able to have pleasant conversations with the publisher or the purchaser or whoever, if you are that type of person, that alone will take you further than a genius who is neurotic as fuck and unable to get it under control. Yeah, for sure. But then there's also, like on my side, for example, I, I benefit immensely figuring out how to handle that genius because if I can rein in that genius and basically like, like I have, I have some people where basically like at any moment, I'm just like, send me the stems now. Cause if I ask you for them later, it might be a problem or you're too busy or you're, you know, whatever. And so if I, if I on the publishing side, on the management side, on the, whatever side, the business side, understand how to handle rein in and manage a crazy genius type you just described that's immensely valuable for me. Yeah. So like those two can exist. Like, you, like I have the, I have the guys who are just very good, straightforward. They're always on time. I like the guys this morning at 4 a.m. I needed, I like, I sent the stuff to the guys to New York. They came back and was like, I need that piano part separated where the chords are on one stem and the piano lead is on the other. Cause like it's a hand, left hand, left, right hand piano thing. Right. So it's like chords, piano melody. Yeah, they yeah. were like, I need that separated. So the guy who luckily was very dependable, did that. He, he opened up his DAW, separated the MIDI, sent me the new stems in like 10 minutes, right? Those people are great. Um, Those people get more gigs. They absolutely do. That guy literally just landed, like that piece of music will probably get used in something today because of that, right? I know other people who were just not awake at that time or which... To be fair, is is not. It's not the expectation to be. It's awake not at that be time, super. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But th that's not the like. I'm not expecting everybody to wake up when I to call them or whatever, right? But I I I know of people on my team that for sure would take a couple of days to get me that. Yeah. And it is what it is. I'm not mad at it about them. Like like you can kind of be mad at it a little bit, but it's just different types of people. You got to handle different ways, and that's why I'm pretty good at what I do. Okay, I want to be. I want to be clear. You're good at what you do. And as uh, a relatively medium, smaller size company, you mm -hmm. have the leeway to develop people, to develop, co like to create systems, yeah, to yeah. help people be organized, you know, to create that kind of path for them, to make it easier for them. But if you are a large company that is like major label only type stuff, you don't have the time. Those bigger companies don't have the time to develop something or wait for you or to create systems if they don't already have it to like, okay, get your foot out the door. Let's fucking do this, right? 
Yeah. Like you that's have why to have that before well, you get in. That's kind of why I said right now we're in like Wild West because I'm seeing a lot of people like myself doing that. Like I'm seeing other libraries kind of create, like instead of being an all-encompassing cookie cutter library, they're kind of getting their own personalities, which I think is really cool. So it, it comes with like, like if you've got a, a library that's a bunch of EDM artists, that comes with a certain type of person, right? Or just a bunch of hip hop and R&B artists that comes with this type of person and so on. It's a rock dudes, right? Like you start to get types and the company kind of reflects that too. So I, I, I think it's not the end of the world and I'm not trying to like give excuses for people who maybe don't hit deadlines, but it, no, I'm fucking, no, I don't think that's a good excuse. <laughs> I don't give a shit. I have no. I know. I know. I, excuses are a slippery slope. When is they it going to stop I know. being okay? I know. It, it's it's what I'm getting at is it's not the end of the world. I I, I and this is me telling myself this sometimes. Sometimes I hit de- I, I hit deadlines right on time, and I'm like, fuck, I could have gotten it a little well, bit yeah, earlier. There's I, the other side of it, which yeah, is like yeah. in business, there's no such things as emergencies. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I and I will kill myself a little too much stressing too hard about a deadline, and then like turning it in ten minutes late, and then them being like, no, it's fine. And I'm like. Pfft. I was stressed for three days. They don't even look at it. They don't, look <laughs> they at don't it open three. it for two more days. You know, I, dude, I hate the dude. If I send a Wii transfer and then it tells me two days later, you downloaded it when you were like, I need it at noon today. And then three days later is when you download it. I'm just like the amount of stress. I've but stressed it's, it's good that you're the type of person who, who is able to accomplish stuff. I, I do think that. And the reason why this is such an important topic to me is because as people in a creative industry, mm-hmm. like, they don't realize people don't I really firmly believe that people don't realize the amount of potential they're missing out on that is 100% in their control Absolutely. and it's not some sort of short term you need to talk to this person get this opportunity it is a long term if you're the type of person who is unable to show up to meetings on time or is unable to have a to-do list or yeah. organize then it's not even worth trying to be in this industry and you need to fucking read a book <laughs> you need to get a calendar. Yeah, I was gonna say you calendars. need to see a therapist. <clears throat> you know, get some cognitive therapy going, yeah. and you need to like maybe even read some David Goggins. I don't give a shit. Whatever it works. Talk to your mommy. You know, <laughs> slap your daddy. I don't give a shit. Whatever fucking works for you yeah. to get your shit together because there's you need to have your shit together in order to do well. This industry is too small, too cool, way too. Mm, oversupplied and under, you know, yeah, oversupplied let me, yeah, let me to add, like let me add do anything less quick. than that. Because I'm a big fan of that because that really puts the ball back in the each individual's court. Yeah. And so, it's not a corporation's fault. It's my fucking fault for not being able to do deadlines. Right. So that's awesome. Well, I was just going to, I was going to bring the corporation into this because at the end of the day, that is who is going to end up paying you is a giant company. Like I'm not in sync. I'm not selling my music to an audience that's going to listen to it for a dollar. That's not the market we're in. That's in the market. Maybe some of these other artists are in as well, but in sync, my, my customer is Disney. My customer is Epic games or Activision or Fox, right? My customer is a giant company. So yeah, they're like, while I did a minute ago, kind of do the whole, like, it's not the end of the world. If you miss a deadline or you're a little late or whatever, I mostly say that to keep people from like pulling their hair out every day because that's what it sounds like when I'm, when I'm, when I get the emails from, from the big companies, it sounds like they're mad. They didn't get it yesterday when we didn't even have a conversation. Right. So like that, that, that world is operating under what you just described of like, they need everything. The moment that email is opened, 
And then you have to try and get it to them as fast as possible in the way they want it. And even a lot of times the way they want it is wrong. And then they'll realize and be like, no, actually this way. Right. And then it's just this frustrating back and forth. That's just the industry because we're not delivering an MP3 to, you know, your local, uh, uh, fan for a dollar. Yeah. So, uh, again, that's, I do feel like for anybody that's listening right now, I feel like the difference between someone successful like you, Trevor, who's figured out a way to make this happen or to a certain degree, you know, it's very, uh, Jesse said this, it's, it's very romantic what we do. Mm -hmm. Like it's romanticized that we get to sit in the chair and talk about music industry and we get to do what we wanted to do ever since we were 12 for Mm -hmm. a living. That's awesome. But people don't realize the amount of self-discipline it takes. (laughs) Uh, The extreme... The extreme amount of self-discipline, the amount of trauma yeah, as a t- child yeah. from no, your let parents. Me, <laughs> let me, let me, uh, yeah, let, let me describe to your audience. I think this will actually help your audience a okay. little bit. Okay, so let me describe the first couple of years when I started GID with like no money, no anything, because I left a, a paying gig with no money, signing up to be an Uber driver, being like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make money and then try to start a new thing, right? Cause I was, I was in a situation I just didn't like anymore. And I ultimately was like, I quit. Like I may even never do music and ever again, I'm just out of here. Right. And so what ended up happening though, is I kind of stumbled onto like entrepreneurial world on the internet. Right. And like the I've Gary Vee, yeah. Yeah, 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 you go down that rabbit hole where it's just like you got to sell your hot dogs and your your couch for extra money. <laughs> I can't do a Gary Vee, <laughs> but you know how a Gary Vee sounds. You're like, I'm so excited about selling NFTs right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the king at eating grapes. <laughs> oh my gosh, New York! You can oh fucking New York Jets lost again. I'm gonna own this team. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He turned into Mickey Mouse for some reason in this conversation. Anyway, so I I, I kind of went down that whole entrepreneur world. And when I came out of it, it was, you know, I, I ended up being that cliche, I'm going to do it kind of guy. Right. But I kind of did. And, and, and what, like, I figured out what worked for me. I did weird things. Like I did polyphasic sleeping. I don't know if anybody knows what that is, but that's where you basically take two short naps and then you only sleep four hours at night. And And I did that for a whole year. So I'd be up super late had my little nap in the middle of the day. And I basically had like 20 hour days, like 20, 19 and ate a certain way to make that work and yada, yada, yada. And it does work. At least it did for me for a long time. Yeah. It's um, like extreme amounts of self-discipline. Yes. And, and comfort with discomfort. Yeah. And you're like, your family has to be on board. Cause I like my wife, like, Hey, I'm like, keep everybody quiet for like 20 minutes while I take this quick nap. Cause if they don't, and I don't get this nap in my four hours tonight, is going to be rough. So like, all that stuff, like there was that, I, I learned a system with sticky notes. That was my thing. Like everybody got to find their thing, but mine was sticky notes. I had this wall of, I still do actually this wall of sticky notes. And as I finish things, I take it out, I crumple it up and I throw it away. And that action and that visualization is how my mind was able to like handle all of the stuff I needed to do to start and run a, like and start a business up, right? The sleeping, that all, all of these like uh, organization uh, uh, calendar. I never used a calendar before, but keeping my like day organized with the calendar, all of those things. And those aren't something to say like, hey, do all those. Figure out what works for you because figuring out some sort of system like that is what will help. Is what helped me run a business and get a lot more done in the first two years of running a business than I. I and I kind of pride myself on this. Like I do think that my company, my my library grew and did more in two years than probably every, any library I've seen. 
And um, that was mainly because I was just like, hey, I'm not going to sleep for two years. Let's see how that works. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and I've had periods where I almost didn't sleep as well. I was just wasn't as smart as you. I just kind of took it on the head and just slept four hours and that was it. Yeah, well, I stumbled, <laughs> yeah, I stumbled on somebody explaining that and I was like, I'm going to do it. And it's the first month of doing it, It's it hurts because your body's adjusting. But then once you get into the groove, it's kind of cool. There, yeah, but the point, like even in that point, it's like the extreme amount of self-discipline. Yes. Dude, it's it's... Again, I, I love that we talk about that because the ball's in your court. That mm-hmm. You didn't have to do that. You could have been comfortable. No, I, I mean, yeah, I could have been comfortable getting like a, a normal job and whatever. But what I, I put myself in that position because I wanted to do this company and that was the only way to do it. And I would and say succeed. that 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 determination is significantly above average. And and to a certain degree, I want to I want to say this like it's it's almost easy to make money from music because if you think about it like this, most people trying to make money from music do not have any sense of self discipline. They don't even wake up at the same time every single day or go to bed at the same time every single day. Most people in the creative industry don't. And if you are the type of person that chooses to, oh, you know what, I'm going to start reading even though I hate reading. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to start exercising even though I'm a fat fuck who doesn't care about exercise. You know, it's like or it's like I'm going to start waking up and having a proper sleep schedule for myself even though my mom isn't telling me to. Yeah. That alone, it's so fucking easy. I'm going to say, so fucking easy to do well. it's not just music, dude. It's every industry you're in, the the bar of like, I, I've discovered this, like, cause I, I did a little bit of, um, I, like, I won't get into it, but like, like I, you saw, I like built a bunch of my house, you know, like the walls and the flooring and all that stuff. And I learned a lot of contracting stuff at that time. And me going into the contracting world being like, yo, if I applied what I'd do in music like business wise to like being a contractor i would wipe the floor with some of these local guys because they're just i i I do think that every business and industry there's like there is this level where if you can have that self-discipline and go a little bit above and beyond you become in the in the hires and in the higher like ranking and that's only just on your behavior. That's not on your skill or anything like that. We haven't even talked about skill. Skill yeah. is not something that we've skill. even brought up. Dude, some of the best, most creative, best songs you've ever heard will never leave somebody's hard drive because the the person who made it is is just not like is just a problem. Like they're just yeah. they're a problem for themselves. As as Theo Vaughn would say, they might they might have the tism. The tism. Which one is that? <laughs> is that where he fell into no, an no, embankment? No, that's not, sorry. That's not, which what it is? Oh, oh, autism. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. Oh. There it is. It's, they got they got a form of they got, the they got a touch of the <laughs> they got a touch of the tism. <laughs> that's a very Theo Vaughn thing. Um, but for real though, uh, it's the talent is something that comes after that, and it's like if you are blessed, like God tapped you with yeah, that yeah. magic water, you know, yeah, yeah. on the way out. And you're like self-disciplined. Holy shit. You are getting all of the fucking gigs. I can name the two people that should be getting all the gigs for you. And you know it. Yeah. I know who they are. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even the boss of your company and I know who they That's are. That's really funny. Cause we'd probably, we'd probably name those two same people. Yeah, That's funny. exactly. It's, it's so, I, and here's the thing as the owner of the company and as, even as someone who is direct contact with you, who is a contractor for you. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you, yeah, we want we want those people to succeed. It's not just we give them more opportunities, but we also can't, we feel like we can't give them enough. Like if we can give, get 100% of the work from those two people, we would. Mm-hmm. But that's just not possible. There's just too much work, too much work that needs to go around. Um, but I mean, that's how valuable self-discipline is. No, oh, it's insane. It's, yeah, like <clears throat> I always, I, I criticize like self-help people. 
a lot of the times like the like what's that Tony yeah Tony Robbins or like some of those others you know because I'm like ah they're somewhat David it's Ramsey, kind of financial yeah. people as well oh, as entrepreneurship dude, David Ramsey come on so anyway uh, my point is is like most th- people are talking shit about David Ramsey in the comments be like oh you can't save money in LA with $60,000 a year because I yeah I, I have to keep going out to eat every single week yeah every yeah single day. <laughs> Oh, you yeah. can't save yeah. money. You yeah. can't get in a Roth IRA. How am I going to drink my coffee? That's oh. $7. Oh my yeah. gosh. No, he's, I mean, like he's right. Like David, anyway, but my point is, is I, I like criticize a lot of those things. Like when I'm talking with friends and stuff like that, of course. because uh, like the majority of what they say seems somewhat, feels kind of It has gr- to be cookie cutter. Grifty it has and stuff. To be. Yeah, but, yeah, it has to be. But I'm saying that as somebody who currently, I really dislike Gary V. But, his early stuff. I'm not going to dig into that. Is what we can. I, don't know. I know. I'm not going to dig into I, uh, it. <laughs> but his his early stuff is the reason why my company exists. So I like there is truth to a lot of what these people like talk about these like self help things. But I, I think if you go too far into it, then you become more of a consumer of that stuff than an applier. And that was where like I think I did it right. How is, often do you think that's the actually the issue? It's like you read all the books, but you don't apply them. So ninety nine percent of the time. Really, yeah. I think it's most people don't even pick up the book. Well, I mean, like, because I'm thinking about think the people that go to the yeah. seminars and all that kind of stuff. Like, they become professional customers of that person. I'm thinking most people don't even buy tickets to the seminar. That well, yeah, technically yes, because like there's not enough tickets to to sell to the 4 million, you know, people that watch each video every day yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The cool thing is like you can go like there's this the Iliad, this this bookshop right here. Yeah, I've seen that over there. Yeah, it looks cool. Mm-hmm. You can get a book yeah. that will increase your lifetime earnings by potentially millions of dollars. Yeah, which one? I don't know. Just, oh, it just uh, like, there's a bunch over there. Yeah, yeah. There's there's you can find a book there and it'll cost you $5. Yeah, yeah. And taking the four to six Dude. hours to four to ten hours to read that single book will change your lifetime earnings by millions okay. and people aren't willing to look for no it's it's not just they're not willing to and this is where i'm gonna so so i'm gonna i'm gonna trash talk like basically an entire industry right Good. now um these the, the, whether they're selling books or master courses or uh like the newest updated pdf to their you know course on x y and z they are in the market of keeping you as a customer, not in the market of teaching you something for five bucks and then having you go apply it. Because why would they? It's similar to like the light bulb thing where like the light bulb that goes out is more valuable than the light bulb that never goes out, right? Tires that flatten and break are more valuable to the creator of those things than the one that never flattens, right? So if you have a product like these courses and these master I want to say something to balance that out later, but go ahead. You've got these, these pro like they need you to constantly come back to them. They don't need you to buy a $5 used book and then fix your life. That doesn't benefit them at all. So while a lot, a lot of the time the information is good information, I'm not necessarily criticizing like Gary V's info or Tony Robbins info or master course X, Y, and Z info. Cause usually the info is good, but they are, they are incentivized to constantly throw shiny things at you and convince you you need more from them. And that's like that that always bothers me, I guess. Huh? Two things. I think it's a personal thing. One is because I think that people that have to wait to be taught are not going to succeed ever in anything. People that wait to be taught are is no different than a dog. I'm serious. <laughs> okay. It's no different than a dog. Like a dog. <laughs> I'm serious. A dog can do what they're told. You can train a dog to sit. You're right. 
My my boy has Down syndrome and he can roll over. You know what I'm saying? But if you can, if you have the discipline to go out and be a go-getter, and I think that takes a lot of figuring, like soul searching and figuring out what you want to do. We're assuming that you've already done the soul searching to figure out what you truly desire, which mm-hmm. I think is like the number one step. Um, second thing about the light bulbs and the tires, things that you're talking about. In yeah, a yeah. capitalist society, eventually there's going to be a threshold when the market decides, you know what? It's not fucking worth making these light bulbs. And there's a competing company that eventually makes a light bulb that lasts slightly longer and it's slightly cheaper like LEDs. And then they're like, you know what? Actually... We can make more money and take over the marketplace by introducing new technology. And there's going to be a brief period of time where that new technology makes more money than the old technology because it's worth it. So it's like eventually companies will continue to compete with each other and make better and better products. But that takes a level of threshold and pressure from the from the marketplace. Okay, sorry. I had to say I, that in there. So it's, I, it's, I don't like corporations being evil as an idea. I don't think that's the case. I think we live in a balanced society that people Oh, dude, we can let, dude. That's another fault. We can go down that because I agree with you. I agree with you there. I I do like, yes, because all it takes, all it takes is one person going, well, my light bulb lasts a year longer than your light bulb. And then before you know it, you're just adding years onto your light bulbs over the next couple of, Of like each company is adding, you know, and maybe you never get the infinitely light bulb, but you get the light bulb you want. The the evil, (laughs) okay, briefly, the evil part is companies trying to squash other companies from doing it. So Yeah, like buying, yes, like buying the rights to like a, uh, an uninflatable tire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it never comes it out. Never For the purpose of never comes out. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's bad. There's but. a reason why Google used the words don't be evil. They removed that from their, uh, from <laughs> what is it? Their their mission statement. They used to have a mission statement. It used to say don't be evil. It doesn't say that anymore. Oh, re- oh that's that's a little bit terrifying. Anyway, regardless, <laughs> um, I'd rather live in a world where I'm optimistic. You know, I don't live long enough for... Never mind. Fuck it. I'm okay now and I'm going to live forever. Okay. So <laughs> let's get to the end of this episode, dude. I, I, um, that's a tangent that I feel really strongly about because I, I want to, if you're listening to this episode, to this podcast, it became general, just you episode, and I hanging out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is I want anybody to first gain the education and, and feel empowered to utilize this education for their personal benefit. That's the point. Like this podcast is not just teaching you how to mix. It's it's a podcast about how to make a living, learn to mix or or producing, right? And and that's our main demographic. We're not just trying to teach the general consumer. We're trying to figure out how to give you the proper realistic tools in order to realistically make an income from this. Mm-hmm. Which which is why that I am so fucking harsh and why I'm so such a hard ass on these simple mm-hmm. simple ideas and topics. It's crazy. If there was an Illuminati, you know what they do? They probably just have to-do lists together and like goals. That's what that's probably what it is because that's all it takes to become the top one. That's really funny. That's yeah, so they're just like they're just how, they're just good at like staying organized like, yeah, and, and that's why they're at the top. Yeah, that's literally what it probably is. I mean realistically they speaking. use like Calendy really well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trello? Oh, they got the premium yeah. subscription. <laughs> <laughs> that's all it is dude. <laughs> the Illuminati oh, yeah. is just the pro Calendly users yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, they have apps to keep them on schedule. That's all it is. That's all they it actually, is. They dude. actually wake they're they're the only people who wake up then when their alarms go off. That's all yeah. it is. They just get up and they, they don't, don't have, have they don't have three buns. alarms. They have one and they get up and then they're then the, the they got up one day from their alarm right when it went off and they walked outside and a letter dropped from their mailbox and it was like you're now in the Illuminati. <laughs> Their maids aren't paid to clean up their house. Their maids are paid to wake them up. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, no, it's 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 funny. Um, yeah, they're they're the <laughs> they all have gym memberships. You know, That's the Illuminati it. is members of the of what's that really expensive gym club that they always Equinox. They're all the, every Illuminati member has is a free it, yeah. access to Equinox. <laughs> Because they actually that is a cheat code. Gym memberships is a cheat. Go to the gym if you're watching this. Go to the gym, please. And it's not even about getting strong. It's It's about the ability to do difficult things for small amounts of time. Just get your blood. Don't you don't need to be like. Just just get your blood flowing. Be there one hour, and like and just do something for an hour, and then like. And go home. Just 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 dedication. You know, like just a little bit of getting your blood flowing. Whatever, just go. <laughs> meditation, so good meditation, self-control, and discipline. That's all it is. It's the, <clears throat> the muscles that you build, the aesthetic that you gain, the weight that you lose is all like, it's not even secondary, it's tertiary. It's like a side thing that happens from gaining the most important things, which is the self-discipline. Okay, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm going to show up. It's that, I'm but just, also our bodies, our bodies are also like throughout our entire existence, we've used our bodies like every day in ways that like we do like never anymore. So like our, it's, it's also triggering like our, our past DNA of like life is hard and you lift heavy things and you move around a lot. And then now we're like sitting in chairs all day. And so it's kind of like reminding your brain, like you are alive because that's what being alive means to your brain. And then it allows you to like be yeah. normal the rest of your day. And, and, and also right now I'm going to call anybody off and we're going to end the episode like right here, because I think we've said what we wanted to say. Plus some, um, if you write us off because you think that we're just a couple of alpha bros, um, good luck. Okay. <laughs> I'm serious. Like that, that's where it starts at. If you aren't even able to consume this type of information and consider that there might be some truth in it and write us off as some alpha bros that go to the gym and get yoked. And we just, all we do is drink protein shakes all day. You know, um, fuck you for thinking that (laughs) I'm serious. No, I got you. I got you. Like how narcissistic could you think that you, could you be? You talking to me? No, 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 no. To the, to the, <laughs> to the sorry, audience? To the, to right, the person yeah, yeah. Who, who wrote us off for saying oh, oh, yeah. that we're Said person, alphas. got you. Um, no, dude. We're all... here. The thing, the reality that's so difficult to understand is that Trevor and I are fucking normal. And that is the most difficult thing for, for a lot of feeble egos to understand is that we're just regular Joe Schmoes like you. Maybe probably worse. I don't know. I got beat by my parents. Ha <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, maybe Random worse. You know, maybe potentially folks. worse. Like, oh my gosh. Like we had difficult things happening. And um, you know what? What we the difference is that we take that blame finger and we point it inwards and we empower ourselves. The power follows the blame finger. That's something I always truly believe in. Trevor, tell us where people can find you. Oh yeah. Uh oh, man. Uh Instagram, get it done music, and then just get it done music.com. Like don't do much more. Get it done. Music is the name of the company. They're awesome. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Um, and as, I'm as long as he continues to pay me, I'll continue to be a fan. <laughs> <laughs> 
fan by invoice. <laughs> but I'm I'm very uh like I respond to like DMs and stuff a lot on Instagram. So like just hit me up on Instagram if you're interested. Get it done I'm, music. Hit him up on it's true. It's a G. He's got There's way too much time on his hand. Yeah. You know, all of the <laughs> all of the hours that he could be spending actually sleeping, he's just responding. He's just fucking around, you know. He's not actually <laughs> he's a willing to answer your text messages. Uh no, but for real though, take advantage of that before this guy gets too busy. So um on that note, thank you so much for listening. Happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. We're going to take a quick break to let you know that this episode has been brought to you by Tegler Audio based out of Berlin. Tegler makes fantastic analog pieces of equipment. Everything from compressors, both tube, VCA as well, from reverbs to recording channel strips to tube summing mixers and to my favorite piece that I personally own and have and use is the Schwarcraft machine, which is digitally controlled compression, 11 different types of compressors. I mean, this thing is built to the brim with tubes and transformers it's fantastic they have digitally controlled analog gear which i'm a huge huge fan of they've got two different pieces of that they've got 500 series gear so whether you're a tracking engineer a mixing engineer or a mastering engineer you need to check out this high quality company tegler and guess what their prices they're not they're not crazy they're mid-range prices for high-end equipment they're like a fantastic company. We love them so much. And if you want 10% off any of their gear, you can go to their website directly or from their shop directly, or I'll link it in mixingmusicpodcast.com slash Tegler, T-E-G-E-L-E-R, and use the code MMPOD to get 10% off your next order. Now back to the show.